Hello, uh, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and today my guest is Dia Cruz, who's an Alexander Technique teacher in North Berkeley, California. And we're going to talk today about her experiences with uh, repetitive stress injury, sometimes called repetitive strain injury, usually abbreviated RSI. Uh, how uh, she uh, overcame her RSI issues and the role that the Alexander Technique played in that, and then more generally how the Alexander Technique can be useful for people who uh, are suffering from RSI. Uh, Dia, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to talk to you, and I wonder if you could begin by giving our listeners a short description or definition of the Alexander Technique. Sure. Um, Usually when people ask me what I do, I tell them that I teach people how to use their bodies more efficiently, at which time they either have a question mark on their face or a follow-up question. Um, So usually what I I say is that the Alexander Technique is a self-care method for improving ease of movement and solving postural problems and releasing tension. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a, I, I would assume a pretty big emphasis on the self-care aspect of that, that yes. we, are, we are teachers, Alexander teachers are teachers, and we uh, show people how they can improve their own situations. We're not therapists, we're Correct. We're teachers. Now, um, I know that uh, in reading your your biography that you uh, had a pretty severe, um, uh, I don't know, call it attack or a pretty severe, um, probably felt like an attack, pretty severe uh, instance of repetitive strain injury. And you, you write that you were in so much pain that you, sl- you slept 12 to 15 hours a day to avoid that pain. Um, w- when, that, uh, when that happened, uh, w- what was your first reaction to dealing with it? And, and how, sort of what was the path you took at that point? Oh, my God. It was, it was horrible. The reason I slept is because the thing is that even without using the arms – it was still painful just to be. Um, mm-hmm. So that's why I slept because to avoid that. Um, and at that time, I didn't know where, what direction to take. So the obvious direction was to see, you know, medical doctors and physical therapy and whatnot. And that didn't seem to help. So actually the physical therapy was made it worse. It was very painful. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't really have a lot of options um, as I saw it at that time. So I, I, I did what I could, and, and that was, again, just resting and sleeping. Mm-hmm. So sleeping was really just a way of avoiding um, being sort of present for the pain, I assume. That's right. Yeah. And um, at, at some what, what kind of work had you been doing? Was it desk work, computer work, that kind of yeah. thing? Yeah. Yeah, it was desk work. It was working in front of the computer, and I was that type that didn't take breaks. I, I ate lunch at my desk. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I had my neck uh, pain tension, um, but you know, I just kept going, and um, I didn't really relate it to a serious problem until, um, until it became a serious problem where I couldn't 
write. I couldn't use the computer. Right. Um, I just couldn't work. And and I, I assume that it, if fairly early on, you you could connect that pain with with working. Or, um, or was that I, more elusive? Well, I the the neck pain, the shoulder pain, I I did not. I I just I kind of did, but I didn't think of it as a serious issue because everyone experiences that. So I just you know after work I went home, I rested. The what I the point when I saw that it was work related is when my wrist began began to hurt mm-hmm. and it didn't get better. And at that point, I knew it was my typing. I I thought it was just, you know, that computer use. Um, so that's when I related to, okay, I it's what... So what they did is they reorganized my desk. And, you know, the ergonomic specialist came to do some adjustments. And that didn't help either. Um, so at that time is when I knew that it was, it was the computer use. But... Of course, now I know it was it was it wasn't just that; it was more than that. Right, and we'll talk about that uh, in, right. a, in a little bit. But so uh, nothing that you tried initially was was very helpful, and at some point uh, you were someone suggested basically that you take uh, Alexander lessons. Yes. Um, well, I was visiting London, and I attended an RSI support group. And at that time, there was an Alexander Technique teacher doing a presentation, and she spoke of how it could help, you know, RSI sufferers. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to take lessons with her at that time. And um, also, there was uh, another participant talking about this clinic in India that had helped that person recover from RSI and go back to work soon after. So that's when I decided to take the trip to India, get that treatment, and that's when I, I was told to follow up with the Alexander Technique um, as part of my recovery, mm-hmm. which I did when I came back to the U.S. And what, how long did it take for you to notice some improvements with, After, that, with the Alexander lessons? Yes, um, it took a while, honestly. I had so much tension, so much, so many layers. Um, my the story I tell people as to when I I really felt the technique working for me was two years into my training, mm-hmm. and it seems like a lot, but that's when I experienced. I was working with John Baring at that time, and he was on a table, and I was working on him, and I felt my arm tense and I felt the pain that I usually experienced and at that time I worked on myself and I was able to release that tension and that pain went away so that was my point that oh my god that technique works and I'm actually able to I have that power within me to release that tension and let go of that pain so it was mm-hmm. two years into the training so um for for somebody listening who may have uh may be suffering from mm-hmm. RSI uh that, would you say that your own experience in terms of the time 
it took you to actually be able to make changes is typical or do you think you were a particularly tough case or how, how would you? I would you... say I'm a tough case. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, because I have worked with others and it does not take that long. And I'm not saying that te- that technique was not working for me. I was just not aware of it. Right, right. Yeah, so obviously it was working. I was just not aware of how powerful it was and how I was able to um, release such tension. So mm-hmm. it. It's not going to take that long for everyone. Um, I have seen people have relief, you know, with a few lessons. Uh, of course, this work, you know, it's it's a lifetime and it's very empowering. So you keep working on yourself and you're learning more. But I, I believe I was a, an exceptional case. Um, I had a lot to work with. And uh, so not to take m- my experience to you know right right it so. it kind of reminds me a little bit of my own ex- early experience with the alexander technique in that uh i never felt anything during any lesson until oh. i was um uh, about halfway through the training course in england um now i did know that things were happening because i there were all sorts of uh, measurable changes in me, like my clothes didn't fit anymore and I got taller and all the rest. But I never actually felt anything during a lesson until one day someone, one of the teachers was working around my chest area and I felt this weird sensation. And I said, what's that? And she said, oh, you're releasing. And I said, oh, I never noticed that before. So I was always getting my information kind of indirectly mm-hmm. and I later learned uh, in fact as soon as I started teaching that, that was a really unusual um, it was pretty unusual most students notice stuff pretty much right away or within a lesson or two so it is it is interesting there can be these different uh, time frames for for that kind of direct awareness. But I can imagine that was a pretty magical moment for you when you actually could sense the actual problem that was causing the pain and then let go of it. Yes, it was very powerful. And I can Im- I envision it in my head because that was the moment, uh, you know, that I was able to believe in the technique and and experience the power right now your experience with rsi came out of working with working with computers sitting at a desk which is a Mm -hmm. pretty common um place where people do develop rsi these days um maybe it would be useful for you to say a word or two about why that is um such a tricky area in terms of 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 rsi Mm -hmm. Um, well my experience uh is that we once we're in in front of the computer we forget about everything else so we're not aware of ourselves to begin with so once we sit in front of the computer we we are collapsed we are we're almost frozen in time Everything's static. There's not a lot of movement. We are so focused on the task in front of us, which is, you know, the work, emailing, um, graphic design. 
so on. And, and so there's not a lot of movement going on with the body. And so all that causes the body to tense up and to, the muscles to overwork. The breath becomes very shallow. And so in time, that that just adds and, and will cause problems. And I've noticed that a lot of people have neck pain, shoulder pain, as I experienced myself, but they they don't associate it with something that could be prevented or that's something that could get worse. Mm-hmm. I, I, get, I, th- I think it's fair to say that working cl- near a screen that often has text or images on it really kind of tends to draw your head towards it mm-hmm. and your attention into it. And so there's not much looking after yourself. And if you're keyboarding at the same time, those little Mm -hmm. fingers and wrists and so on are moving without you really paying any attention to them. And I think that's a real setup for developing developing RSI. It is kind of interesting that the, the very term repetitive strain injury and where it's terms like carpal tunnel syndrome, um, 30, uh, 30, 35 years ago, basically they existed, but not in any popular sense. I never heard those phrases Correct. until until you started getting video display terminals and keyboards and all the rest. Right. So it does seem like that particular occupation tends to breed RSI. Um, I wonder if you've also worked with musicians who, um, for, for whom RSI can also be a, a pretty serious issue. Yes, it's a similar instance. Again, it's the same idea that you have that instrument in front of you and it, you're so focused on the music that you forget about everything else. So again, it, it's that static it's not a lot of movement going on with the body, not giving fluid to your joints, and everything's just stiff. Mm-hmm. So, so yes, it's it's the same thing. It's and again, it's repetitive motion. Anything repetitive, it's what RSI is. Right, and and if you think, for example, of a, of a violinist uh, moving her arm moving the bow mm-hmm. up and down mm-hmm. thousands, maybe tens of thousands of times a day. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if they tighten their necks and shoulders to do that a, a few dozen times, probably nothing would happen. But when you get into the huge numbers of repetitions, then it become it can become a really serious, serious issue. Right. Um, do you can you think uh, from your own teaching experience? Are there any other groups of people or people that you've worked with who have RSI who come to you with RSI? Um, usually, yeah. Well, I have a lot of people with you know computer users, graphic designs. Mm-hmm. That's a huge thing. Uh, software engineers. Mm-hmm. Um, it is just very prominent with. Uh, it, computer users developing th- this kind of problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's usually those, those are my clients and, and also musicians. Um, so th- those are the main ones. Those are certainly the two main, main yes. groups that I've, I've uh, worked with that who've come suffering from RSI. What, what would your, if someone's listening to this right now who is, does have repetitive strain injury, 
what would your advice be in terms of how they how to approach the Alexander technique? Obviously, they want to find a teacher, and mm-hmm. there'd be kind of the usual caveats about maybe getting recommendations from friends and so on, perhaps trying more than one teacher if you're mm-hmm. if you're not sure. But um, just in general, uh, do you have any advice for someone who, who, say, decided to explore the technique? What kind of attitude do you think would be most useful for them to have? Um. What I would tell people and I, what I tell people who are suffering from this is to try the Alexander Technique um, and to give it a try. I mean, really give it time. Um, not just one lesson or two lessons or even five lessons. You know, you really have to, like I said, in my experience, I took 12 lessons and it, it felt good. However, I didn't connect it with... Um, me being able to do it Mm -hmm. so just to give it at least 24 sessions and within those 24 sessions they will experience they'll have some experience of the technique with every lesson and they will learn how to use their bodies more efficiently and um, for example just sitting in front of the computer um, and how to use the arms that was such a big deal for me, how to use the arms. That was such an eye-opener, you know, mm-hmm. because that's, that's where I was feeling it, my, the, my tensions on the, my fingers, my wrists, my forearms, and, again, it just elevated. So learning how to use your body more efficiently really, really helps uh, relieve tension and pain. Mm-hmm. So if if they can if people can just try it and again just give it some time and see if this is something that may help them. Mm-hmm. And it's probably useful to say that people vary dramatically in how quickly they notice changes. Right. In, in my case, as I said, it was several years before I Same actually felt anything. But or that's during a lesson. But I certainly felt stuff outside of lessons and I noticed things so I had I had that kind of uh, as it were faith in the Alexander technique developed pretty quickly even though I couldn't feel it feel anything changing during a lesson mm-hmm. and um, but I, I so I guess one thing to say to people is that there is a huge variability and secondly if you even after a, a two or three lessons say you may very well notice a little something. Mm-hmm. And if you do, that's a pretty good indication that there's a little more to come in the next lesson or two and a little mm-hmm. more and a little more that um, these kind of changes are not usually sort of gigantically instantaneous. They, mm-hmm. they, uh, you're sort of unwinding a long period of misuse of your body and that's not something that can happen overnight so right. p- maybe patience might be uh something to ca- console to, to to suggest to yeah and that's and that's difficult to convey you know because again i was one of those myself mm-hmm. when especially when you're experiencing pain you want you want to relieve that pain and so patience it's it's not really. It wasn't in my vocabulary, and that was, of course, part of my issue. Exactly, and the very thing that tends to 
makes make it more likely that someone will develop RSI is also often the very factor which makes it a little more difficult for them to notice changes, to have that patience. And also, I, I think another thing that might be worth saying here, I, I, we're coming kind of towards the end of our, our time, but one other factor is that uh, if you are in pain, it's not all that easy to use, uh, to, to sort of self-direct yourself as Alexander uh, teachers would like to get you to do, you're more likely to require early on that the teacher, in a sense, do most of the thinking for you, that it, be, it, it's a, it might be a little more passive at the beginning from the student's point of view, simply because people in pain usually aren't all that able to mobilize their thinking process to to make a change have you have you experienced that in your work as well yes that's you're right um it is more passive in the beginning and and so that's where i try to guide them into trying to acknowledge what how they feel after the lesson so especially after the table work Mm -hmm. because that's what they i in my experience, that's where they feel the most change. Right. And, and so um, that's where the patience comes in and that's where the guidance comes in where, you know, this is how you feel now compared to how you felt when you came in. That's a huge step and it will just continue to grow as we continue with the lesson. Right. And even that idea of sort of monitoring yourself in that way for a lot of people that's a a whole new thing Mm -hmm. they're just not used to doing that right just opening opening up that pathway in and of itself is pretty pretty useful right well um this might be a good time to bring our conversation to a close unless there's something that you particularly want to mention that we haven't covered uh no i think we to cover a lot. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, my guest today has been uh, Dia Cruz. She's an Alexander Technique teacher in North Berkeley, California. If anything that we've been talking about today intrigues you and you live in the Berkeley area, we'll put a link to her website by the interview. And I'll also put a link to a site where you can locate where you can learn more about the Alexander Technique and you could locate a teacher in your area. Dia, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much, Robert.